Alan Kring Productions, in association with the Emergent Light Studio, presents the Illinois State Collegiate Compendium, Academic Lectures in Business and Economics. This is Business Finance, FIL 240, for Autumn Semester 2023. Today, bond structure. The, um, this class will have a uh, quiz, and that will begin at uh, 4. Let me, let me think here for real quick. Uh, 410. Uh, and you'll have 20 minutes for the quiz. So that will be good news for you to have something fun to do. And uh, I will bring up something about Excel files here to start this off. This is your view uh, from the home page. Now, if you go down here to files, as you might have seen, I put up an announcement that I had enhanced some of the files that were uh, for this quiz and then for the midterm too. So if you go to files, spreadsheets, if you haven't done this already. Now, in this one right here, the ones that would be relevant for this quiz would be loan payment. Now, the way you do this, if you don't know, you click on the three dots, you click download, and it'll download it to your downloads folder. And then you do the same, the present and future values, and then the risk and uh, return. Those will all be, no, I'm sorry, NPV and IRR, download that one. And present va and future value, you download the, those three. And just to show you what I did, just to point it out to you, downloads, loan payment. For example, the loan payment. Now, what I did was I highlighted, I color coded, so that numbers that you need to put in, they're going to be uh, in white. Anything that's not in white, you don't touch that. That's going to be fine the way it is. And the loan payment, you'll put in the years, the periods per year and all that, the APR, and future value will be, that should actually be in yellow, that one you don't touch. Uh, huh. Nope, that's not the right color for that. I'll have to maybe fix that later, but there you go. Anyway, so you just put in the numbers that you need, and it should spit you out the answers for the exam and for the quiz. You don't need to use a financial calculator. You just need to know, read the problem, see where the numbers go, and you have it, your answer right there for, for the quiz. And for this will also be on the midterm. Now, in the midterm, you will also need the, um, uh, I don't know. What else would you need for that? Well, maybe the free cash flow. Now, the bond calculations, you can see that one. I have made the uh, homework for Chapter 7 due on Monday after this coming Monday. So you don't have to sweat working on that homework while you're prepping for the exam. Now, for the exam, only the terminology, key terms and concepts will be on the midterm, not the math. 
I will touch the math just a little bit today, and I'll finish it up our first lecture after the midterm. So it's not something to worry too much about. Just a few last terms today, and then that's it for that part. And then, of course, on Monday, we review for the midterm, and on Wednesday, we have the midterm itself. So that's the kind of the path we're going down here. But be sure that when you do these, to bring these uh, spreadsheets down, like for example, present and future value. Those are for annuity problems. I said those are for annuity problems. And uh, you just key in if it's a present value of a, of a cash flow, you key in the correct numbers. If it's a payment, actually, I did a payments on a loan right here too. So, I mean, it's you got it two places. And the future value, the same thing. If you need to find a future value of a cash flow, well, then you plug in, use this one right here to get your results. And for the internal rate of return and net present value problems, download that one. And enable editing and there yeah just put in your cash flows and you'll get your uh, and your dis and uh, whatever your discount rate is for them and then you'll get the NPV and you'll get the internal rate of return and the profitability index which I'm not going to ask about but there you go that's all there is so you should be able if you can just read the problem and key in the right numbers where they belong from the problem into the Excel sheet, you got it. This is very much the way it is in corporate when you get out there. A lot of the times you'll have a template. Your job is not to start invent, reinvent the wheel. It's to know where the numbers go in a template that a corporation already has set up. In other cases, you'll have to write your own, uh, your own template or whatever, but for the purposes of right now, you got your templates, you should just be able to put in the numbers and get the right answers out. Hey, enough of that. Yeah, save that one. No, just bear with me a moment here. Give me a second. I'm going to re-upload that one with that one color key in it. Okay, leave the student view, upload. Um, loan payment, replace, there you go, and that's fixed up for you. Anyway, that's enough about that. Stay frosty, just get that quiz done, and if you, even if you don't do fabulous, a perfect 10 on it, you know exactly what I'm going to ask for, at least five questions on the exam, right there. Five, uh, five serious questions. And so it's worth it for you to do it right now, but it's also worth it for you to go back through it over the weekend and make sure that you've got it. A look at the numbers now. As you can see, the uh, markets are closed, and it was actually a, a pretty positive day. The Dow was up four-tenths of a percent, the S&P up, obviously, more, about twice as much, 0.8%, uh, 8 tenths of a percent. And then the NASDAQ had a good, strong up day, uh, about 1.4%. So the markets are 
doing very well. They are, they are reflecting the strength of the economy as it recovers. We got a good jobs report came in today. There were there have been these naysayers who are saying, well, the problem is the market's not going to really go anywhere because these high interest rates are going to stay there for so long and it's just going to tear everyone apart. Well, that's not actually true. The interest rates that consumers and businesses have faced for the last four or five years have been, even maybe more than that, have been abnormally low historically. We're right now, we're actually more like the way it's been, it was, it's been all along, except for those low interest rates we had at the end of the last administration and we had at the beginning of this administration in Washington. So there's going to be a time of adjustment, but it's not going to hurt the economy at all, as you can see. Now here's another thing, notice crude oil. As I had said, I wasn't concerned about those prices that got into the $90, $93 a barrel on the light sweet Brent. Uh, they weren't going to last. And the mar as I told you, there are forces that will make the price of oil go back down, notwithstanding a couple of countries who say they're going to cut their production. And as you can see, it's back in that band that it had been in where the top was 88 and the bottom was maybe about 78, somewhere in there. We're in there now. And I would imagine the gasoline prices will ease back a little more over the next two weeks. Not Probably not a lot, but still, anything's better than nothing. And as you can see, gold took it, is still way down. It's going down because the gold bugs are not, they don't think the apocalypse is going to happen, so they're dumping their gold right now. Over here, the 10-year bond, yield down, price up. I'm going to talk about that in the lecture today a little bit and emphasize it more when we get back together on the end of chapter 7 after the exam. But here we have the yields are down, so the prices are up. That means that investors are buying into bonds right now because it's just a good investment for them. Interest rates will remain attractive, and so there you go. So the investors are going to buy. Now, interestingly, the euro and the pound both had a little bit of strength. They appreciated a little bit against the uh, dollar. It wasn't anything major, but mainly these other countries are increasing their interest rates to start their battles against inflation. And as those battles go on, that will make their currency strong. High interest rates, that the price of money, uh, the price of a euro is European interest rates. If the European interest rates go up, the price of the euro should go up against the dollar. It's not going to be strong, though, because, again, as I said on Monday, Europe, Europe, the Eurozone, it's, the economy is weak, so it doesn't have a lot of appreciation room with such a weakened economy, same in Japan uh, and same in Great Britain. So no worries there. Nikkei, on the other side of the world, last night, it had a seriously dark day. It started down hard at the opening bell. And then it just drifted on down for most of the rest of the day. There was a slight bull rally you can see right there on the spark chart, 
but that didn't last long before the bears took over. And it went for the day, it was down more than two and a quarter percent, which is a noticeable drop. Great Britain had about as bad a day. It started out just kind of flopping around and then it took its dive and it ended up down more than three quarters of a percent. So there you go, we're seeing these economies of the rest of the world, their stock markets are reflecting the weakened state of those economies. So, and it, they will stay weakened as the uh, other, these other developed nations fight their inflations by raising their interest rates. Now, let me go just have a look at some company just to throw one more of these at you because on the midterm I'm going to have a screen up you got to find everything about it and I'm going to do this one today it's a little off the normal track it's nearly a penny stock it's in Novavax Novavax was one of the companies that was in a in the race to get a vaccine against SARS-CoV-2 uh, COVID-19 and uh, they didn't come through. However, there are some reasons why you might not want to just dismiss a company like that. There were a number of companies that were in the race that didn't get anything out of it. Novavax was one, Sorrento was another, and there were a few others, AstraZeneca uh, was, were in there and they just didn't really come up with anything that was strong enough to qualify as an effective vaccine. So let's go through here, Novavax. Is it something you should avoid? Well, at a 1.68 uh, beta, yeah, that's scary. That's very risky, not surprising. And this is a company that is losing serious money, $7.22 per share loss. So it's unprofitable, no PE ratio because the uh, EPS is negative, no dividend. So is there any reason why we might want to have a look at Novavax? Well, let's look at what the holding period return, the one year holding period return is. There's no dividend yield, so we don't have to re worry about that. All we do is do the price projected for a year, $20, and 66 six, and 60 cents divided by what you would buy today one year before at seven dollars and 33 cents a share minus one equals and then times the result by a hundred and according to the projection at yahoo this company a one-year holding period return will be 181 percent that is a staggering return if it happens. A little piss-ass company, it didn't come through with an effective vaccine against COVID-19. Why would the markets, why would there be any reason to believe that this stock would nearly double in price over the next year? Any reason whatsoever that that could happen? This is where you have to put on your thinking cap. You got anything? Um, Remember, it tried to create a vaccine for COVID. The vaccine, uh, they just didn't come through with something that was effective. So of course the price, like that. Anything? Well, <clears throat> they can use like the information from Moderna and 
Come on. Not, not theirs. They're not going to give you theirs away. But you're almost on the right track. Yeah. You're, you're, I won't pressure you anymore. You got anything? Any suggestion? They'll come out with their own vaccine eventually. That's part of it. They still had a vaccine or something close. Plus, they had the technology to create new vaccines. And that's the whole thing is, we've moved on from COVID. We can build COVID vaccines. That's Moderna, that's Johnson & Johnson, that's Pfizer. However, we've got other ones. We've just gotten a vaccine for RSV. And now we're talking about vaccines for other law, uh, very challenging illnesses. And Novavax is just another company that has the, the lab equipment. They have the technology. They've learned from developing the COVID vaccine. So yeah, it has a good chance of doing something over the next year. Uh, making an announcement, yes, we have a COVID vaccine. We'd like to offer that to people instead of the other ones. Yes, we, oh yeah, we've got an RSV vaccine. We'd like to offer that one next to the other ones. Others uh, ones that are coming out, there are, there's talk all over the place about developing a vaccine against HIV. There's talk even amazingly about vaccines against certain cancers, for God's sake. That would be, I mean, any company that came out, well, we're close. I mean, you're going to see its price go spiraling through the sky. So it's highly risky. It's probably going to take an ass bath over the next year. But it's one of those, we all, in finance, okay, in finance, in a class like this, and in traditional finance, we talk about buy and hold long-term strategy. But I don't think there's any one of us who doesn't have a fun slush uh pile of money in another account where you throw it at side bets like this. I sure do. And uh, I throw it at side bets. My main core just sits there moving along over the years. But things like this, these are your fun money. It's like buying a lottery ticket for a buck. Uh, and <laughs> this is a lottery ticket for $7.33. You throw in $73 and in a year you would have <laughs> you'd have close to uh, about two, uh, $2,200. Uh, so it's just one of those side bets. And I want to bring those up just because the stock up here looks like it sucks. If there's a projection that it's going to do something amazing, you ask yourself, is this just bullcrap or is there maybe a reason why these analysts are calling for a price increase like that? You've got the mind and you've got the access to the research, uh, to the uh, news articles and the scientific journals yourself. You can see for yourself. Yeah, Socks to Watch Wednesday, Novavax. Yeah, I think I'll be in there too grabbing on that one. Okay, anyway. Now, aside from that, let me take this all down now. And I'm going to finish up with the, uh, just clean up some terminology mostly on bonds here for a little bit as we drift happily into the uh, time when the, uh, the uh, quiz will open up for you. And as I had gone through, uh, the bonds have specific kinds of bonds and within them there are, is an internal structure to the bond. 
when it's due and all of that. Let me um, do something here. Now, when you look at quotes, uh, when you look at a ticker symbol on a bond, and they're not easy to find, is that something that's driving me crazy? Uh, even five years ago, you see me pull up stocks all the time. Well, let's have a look at this stock, and that's uh, bond quotes are actually not that easy to find. There's just not that much excitement about them. So you really have to scratch around to find a screen that shows you a bond or to find a, a place where bonds and their prices are listed. Now, about the listing. Bonds, stocks have those little nice one, two, three, four letter quote of ticker symbols. Bonds are ridiculous. You know, you might have CVS stock, and you type in CVS and you get the information on it. Well, a bond starts with that, and then it has a string of numbers after it that are part of the ticker symbol. That string of numbers has a logic to it, but I'm sure not going to try to do it right now, find one of them. But in general, if you're looking for a T uh, calling up a bond ticker symbol, uh, ticker, you need to find what the company is and then the details of those numbers after that. And sometimes it's even worse too because you can have bonds with a quote and then you'll see a little, a little subscript on it like a C. That would mean that it's a callable bond or a convertible bond or a W, it has warrants. So it's kind of a morass and I keep it simple in a class like this. Matter of fact, I try to keep it simple in a more advanced class too. But let's try this. First things first, the face value of a bond, we always work in $1,000. That's what you will be paid back. You buy a bond and someday you sell it or something like that, or you let it ride to maturity. The price of it is on the thousand like this. And at the end, you'll get a thousand dollars. Your bond will give, send you, the, the CVS here would send you a thousand dollar check. Whether you were the one who lent the company money or if you bought it in the secondary market, if you are the bearer of the bond at the end, you get the $1,000 at the end or some multiple of it. Now let me go through this. Ignore all these. You're going to see some numbers after it. Like you'll see a 4.25% and then you will see a year. Let's say... 2037 is the year. Okay. That's all. What that, first of all, this is the coupon rate or the coupon. I try to say rate and sometimes I forget. What that means is that is based on the face of a thousand. So you would, in order to see what you're going to get a check for every year, as your interest rate, you would multiply the 1,000 times 4.25%, uh, and you would get, in this case, $42.50.
That is the check you will get every year from CVS. They'll pay you that. Uh, maybe not CVS, it's banker or something like that, or the IB, whatever. You'll get a check for $42.50 every year. And then in 2037, you'll get one last interest check, and then you'll also get a check for $1,000. That will be the retirement of the bond. It's over. It's done. Bonds kind of are attractive to companies because when you buy stock, it's like an eternal marriage. The stockholders are there forever. But bonds, they're gone as soon as you pay off the, pay off the principal, the face value, at the year of maturity. <coughs> so this is the year of maturity. Now the term is how long the bond has left. See, this bond was probably issued in 2017 or 2007. It was a 20, 30 year bond. But it is now in the secondary market. It's getting uh, along in years. So the term right now is 14 years. That's how long it has left. So, um, hmm. Okay, someone here. Okay. Yeah. You, madam, were, when you were born, you, we know, you were going to live until you were born in probably 2002, maybe? Okay, so we know that your date of expiration when you die is 2082. That's your maturity date when you're born, okay? Yes, you'll die when you're 85. No, you won't. You'll live longer. You know what? However, you are no longer that, that date. Actually, in a way, that 85 years doesn't matter anymore. Your term is now 61 years. 61, 62 years? Yeah, 62 years. Something like that. You see, because that's how long you have left to live. That's how much time you have remaining. The term is how much time, how many years are remaining on the bond. That's, and that's what actually matters in our calculations. Uh, the total length. Well, this is a 30-year bond, so what? At issue, its, 30 year, its term is 30 years. But as the years progress, the term gets shorter and shorter on it. So at this point, in 2023, which is where we are now, the term on the bond, the time remaining, is 14 years. I hate what I'm about to say here. But technically, we should know the day and the month that it matures as well. And why do we need to know that? Because Excel wants to know it. There are, these ca calculations can be kind of complicated to get the two num one of the, 
There are two numbers here at the end we need. We'll always have one of them, and we have to get the other one. That's where the calculations come in. Excel does it in the blink of an eye, but it wants some in more information. It doesn't just want the year that the bond matures. It wants the day, date, and year, uh, the, the day, month, and year that it, re that it retires. So in other words, in order to do these calculations, we have to just get the date, or I'll, gi I'll give it to you. Don't worry about that. And Excel. Now there's another one that is Excel wants. It's called the settlement date. The settlement date is the date that you become the owner of the bond. So in other words, if I bought that bond today and it showed up in my account, you own this CVS bond. The settlement date would be the 4th of October 4, 2023. That would be the settlement date where you've settled, the account is settled. They've got the money, you've got the bond. So you need to know the settlement date and the date of maturity for Excel. Don't sweat it. I've made up a sheet, uh, a, a, an Excel sheet, so that all you have to do, if you know the date of maturity and the term, it'll assume that the settlement date is exactly that many years before it. Something like that. I'll show you what I, let, let me do this real quick here. Um, Bear with me. I think I won't be behind it. Yep, I closed out. No, I didn't. Okay. Let me pull this up. I'll show you this sheet. Now, you download these. And uh, pull it up. This is what it'll look like. All you have to do is fill in the numbers that you're given in a problem. Like what I, it'll calculate. If I put the maturity date is this, then all, what it'll do is it'll look over here to find the term and it'll make the settlement date that many years before. So in other words, if this bond matured on 2-27-2032 and it had a term of 12 years, then the settlement was exactly 12 years prior to that maturity date. I've made it so you don't need to calculate the settlement. It looks a little complicated, trust me, it's not that bad, once you get the hang of it. These Excel sheets, once you know how to use them, they'll be a joy to your heart compared to what you'd have to do. Now, as I said here, as I said here, there's two other numbers that are going to be showing up. Now, the quotation service gives you both of them. But the job here is to know how to calculate. Now one of those will be the price of the bond. The other will be the yield to maturity on the bond, the yield on the bond. Now the price is just what you're gonna pay for it. What the market, just like a price of a stock. It's just a price. The yield is derived from the price. See, everything in, in our world, a lot of things, we quote them as a price, but what we really want is the a percentage 
that's hiding underneath. So this yield is driven by buying and selling activity that makes the price go up and down. And the yield goes down and up as a result of that. Now you don't have to worry about knowing this for the midterm. I'm coming up on something you do have to know here in a minute. But, so the thing though is, this is where it, it gets a little bit odd. See this $1,000? Let's say your price is $982.50. Okay? That's what you would pay for the bond if you wanted to buy it. I'd like to buy one CVS of, with all the other numbers in it. And they'd say, okay, that'll be $982.50. However, you're not, they're not going to give you a price. They're going to give you what's called a quote. A quote is on the hundred. So what they would actually tell you is 98.25. Not the price. You have to just know that the actual price is 10 times that. And surprisingly, there are investors. They think they know what they're doing, and they don't with this. And I have a personal experience with this. Back in the early 1990s, before most people even had heard of a computer in the early 1990s, I knew this fairly wealthy guy. He thought he was a genius investor. He had software that did this kind of stuff. He had a dial-up modem that could connect to his broker. He was hot stuff. And so he decided he was going to buy 10 bonds. And they were running at about 99 on the quote. He saw the quote, and he even confirmed with, the, with his uh, broker. He said, is it still 99? And he got a yes. And then when he found out that he had actually spent $9,900, he just blew up. He had a fit. I'm going to call the SEC. I'm going to go there with my gun and shoot some. You dumbass. That was a quote. It's not the price. It's a quote. Uh, the price he paid was 10 times what he thought he was paying because he was getting on the 100. Now, why do I bring this up? Because, uh, let, me, let me show you this. Excel has one of its formulas that want quotes on the hundred. It wants everything on the hundred. See this one over here? It's on the thousand. But when you go to calculate a bond yield, it wants the face value on the hundred. And it gives you a price, quote unquote, on the hundred. The actual face value is a thousand. And the price that it, you put in is one thousand that you would are talking about is one thousand forty-five dollars. But for some reason, to calculate a bond yield, Excel wants redemption on the hundred. Uh, it, it will it, and then it will, and the price on the hundred. Over here, it doesn't want that. It doesn't care. But over here, for some reason, Excel has this weird-ass feature that it wants it on the 100. Now, where did this 100 ever come from? It came from a long time ago <laughs> in a galaxy far, far away. 
Back in the 1800s, actually even to the 1700s, every morning along the street, Wall Street, and the, uh, and, and the street in Philadelphia where the exchanges were active, before the opening of the markets, these publishers along the street would print out the last evening's quotes on stocks and bonds on a ginormous broadsheet. Everything was there, all the stocks, all the bonds. Well, if you're going to get everything onto a sheet of paper, even if it's a broadsheet, you have to use a shorthand. Hence, bonds were quoted on the hundred because then you didn't have to use all those all that space. In fact, until even in your lifetimes, before you were aware of things like this, stocks were not quoted in dollars and cents. They were quoted like this. 11.5. They were quoted in dollars and fractions. That meant that the stock was the price at the closing was eleven dollars and five eighths, or uh, sixty-two and a half cents. And it, it, even to this day, sometimes I slip and I'll say five and a quarter, or twenty-two and three eighths. Twenty. They were quoted in fractions: halves, quarters, eighths, and sixteenths, or what we call tenths. And so that was the broadsheets being compressed. Finally, everyone started quoting stocks in dollars and cents, but they have never gotten over quoting bonds on the hundred. It's still, it's a fossil. And I hope someday it will go away, but God knows I don't think so. But anyway, that's the history behind it. So in the Monday lecture, and for God's sake, make sure you have an Excel sheet, your Excel with you for this. If I know the price, I can find the yield. As you can see on that Excel sheet. If I know the yield, I can find the price. And that's how we do our problems in bonds. Like I said, if you're doing one, even a calculator, the price is a, if you've got the yield, finding the price is kind of complicated. If you, if, but if you're trying to find the yield, if you've got the price and you're trying to find the yield, that is a real pain in the ass exercise. Uh, on paper, even with a good calculator, it's a pain. So fortunately for Excel and for these advanced financial calculators, we don't have to do it anymore. And I don't have to teach you and have you slash my tires on my car when you can't figure it out. Anyway, you got a quiz to take now. Hop on it. And that's all I have for you today. I thank you.